0: Our scripture readings are taken from the book of Job and the gospel according to St. John. Job chapter 1, verses 8 to 22. Then the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? There is no one on earth like him. He is blameless and upright a man who fears God and shuns evil. Does Job fear God for nothing? Satan replied. Have you not put a hedge around him and his household and everything he has? You have blessed the work of his hands so that his flocks and herds are spread throughout the land. But now stretch out your hand and strike everything he has and he will surely curse you to your face. The Lord said to Satan, Very well, then, everything he has is in your power. But on the man himself, do not lay a finger. Then Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. One day, When Job's sons and daughters were feasting and drinking wine at the oldest brother's house, a messenger came to Job and said, the oxen were plowing and the donkeys were grazing nearby and the Sabians attacked and made off with them. They put the servants to the sword and I am the only one who has escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, To tell you. While he was still speaking, yet another messenger came and said Your sons and daughters were feasting and drinking wine at the oldest brother's house when suddenly a mighty wind swept in from the desert and struck the four corners of the house. It collapsed on them and they are dead, and I am the only one who has escaped to tell you. At this, Job got up and tore his robe and shaved his head. Then he fell to the ground in worship and said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I will depart. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. In all this, Job did not sin by charging God with wrongdoing. The second reading, the Gospel according to St. John, chapter 16, verse 33. I have told you these things, so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. This is the word of God or the people of God. Now may our hearts be prepared to receive this week's message from Wendy Booth entitled, Leaning on Other Believers.
1: Okay. Am I on? Can you hear me? Okay, I'm not supposed to touch it because I could make it yell. At you. <laughs> and I hope my hair doesn't cause problems. <laughs> I'm surprised. I bet you didn't know I'd be given the sermon this week. Neither did I <laughs> until this past Wednesday. <laughs> and sometimes that's how God works. He was nudging me and then he finally shoved me. So it's interesting, well it's not interesting, it shouldn't shock us as believers, but this does kind of go, this sermon that I'm giving goes hand in hand with Pastor Don's sermon from last week, um, when he talked about how we all have stinky things in our lives that God will use as fertilizer. I am currently in a valley, and I want to talk to you guys about how I get through it. Satan knows exactly where to hit me. He goes after my loved ones. I wasn't even emotional when I practiced. I become a mess, and I have a difficult time praying. But I do believe in prayer, because I have seen God answer it. So I lean on other believers to get through the valleys and the hard times. As we heard, John 16.33 says, I have told you these things so that you may have peace. In this world, you will have trouble. But take heart, I have overcome the world. So, I want to share our story with you and what's been going on over the past month, but I do not share it for your sympathy. Everyone goes through valleys and troubles, and I want you to think about yours when you hear what we're currently going through. So, I have to give you a bit of backstory. Uh, With a disclaimer, Caitlin has not had the medical history that her sisters have had, and I am sure she is very glad about that. Um, I still worry about her, and she still has her own struggles, but she won't be the focus of this particular message, so I'm not don't want to ignore my baby. Um, and Diane actually is not necessarily the focus either. However, Diane was diagnosed with lupus about a year and a half, two years ago. And that was a little hard, but it was nowhere near as hard as her ending up in the hospital on New Year's Eve of last year, which was 2022, with pneumonia. And we all know how serious pneumonia is, even if you don't have an autoimmune disorder. But of course, it's, it's quite terrifying when you have an autoimmune disorder as well. And that's when I first realized how hard it was for me to pray when I am in such deep despair, So I took to Facebook, and I got the prayers that I desperately needed, and she healed. It was a terribly long road, and she has some lasting effects on her lungs, but she's doing very well, as you could hear from her singing. Now, cut to Rhiannon and our current situation. Rhiannon has just been diagnosed with lupus as well. I mean, they're twins, so... But that didn't even take me to my deepest valley of despair. Rhiannon was actually first diagnosed with gastroparesis about seven months ago, but she's been having symptoms for about a year. Rhiannon contracted the norovirus in February of 2023, last year, and it caused her gastroparesis, which is when the stomach does not empty the way that it should. It actually empties too slowly. It leaves one unable to eat enough, which causes extreme weight loss and constant nausea. She's been very slowly, very slowly healing over the past year until this past New Year's Eve. She contracted the norovirus again, and it would seem that her gastroparesis has reset. It started all over for her, and it has been horrific for her. I'm not sure if you can imagine what it's like to be nauseous every second of every day, and feeling hungry, but forcing yourself to eat anyway. This has actually been the hardest thing that I have ever seen her go through, and it has destroyed me. Now, that's our backstory, but let's talk about some suffering that we see in the Bible. Last week, Pastor Don covered a few different people and, and how they have suffered in the Bible too. He, he listed Joseph, which I did think about Joseph. He's one of the first people I thought of. Uh, he mentioned Ruth, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. But I fell on the story of Job. I felt it matched very well with the topic. And, I mean, he had a lot happen to him in a short amount of time, to say the least. And he also had things that affected his children. So, as we heard from the scripture, how did he suffer? Well, the Samians attacked and stole all of his oxen and donkeys, and killed a portion of his servants. Fire fell from the sky and burned up the sheep and more of his servants. The Caladians attacked and stole his camels, killing even more of his servants. Then a mighty wind swept in from the desert, and destroyed the house where all of his children were, gathering for a feast, and killed all of them. And, which was not mentioned in Scripture, a fifth thing happened shortly after he praised God, Satan afflicted him with painful sores from the bottoms of his feet up to the top of his head. So how did Job respond to this? Well, first he mourned. He tore his robe, shaved his head, and worshipped, saying, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I will depart. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. After Satan afflicts him with painful sores, he sits on a heap of ashes, scraping himself with shards of pottery and wishing he'd never been born. His trust in the Lord remained, however, even after his wife encouraged him to curse God and die. He replied, you are talking like a foolish woman. Shall we accept good from God and not trouble? In, this, in all of this, Job did not sin in what he said. So as scared, as angry or frustrated as I am, I still believe that God will use our suffering for good somehow. Just as Pastor Don said last week, he will use it as fertilizer somehow. And you heard Pastor Don speak of this last week, and you'll hear it a couple times today. Romans 8.28 says, And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. So Job's friends come to comfort him. So when, he heard about their, when they heard about his suffering they visited him in order to comfort him. Upon their arrival, they find him nearly unrecognizable, so they sit on the ground with him for a week, not speaking because his suffering was so great. This was the right response. When a friend is suffering greatly, be there for them. Don't say much, if anything. Just be there and pray. Unfortunately, Job's friends finally started talking. And for 34 chapters, Job and his friends discussed suffering. (laughs) Job's suffering must be the result of his sin, his friends assume. Job, however, feared God and shunned evil. Certainly his suffering was not the result of a sin that he'd committed against God. He was even careful enough to make sure his children were pure before God. His children, the sons would often have these gatherings and celebrations and invite their sisters and they would all celebrate together and he would, Job would sacrifice beforehand and pray to God in case they sinned. So he had them covered even before celebrations. And so, you know, if he were so good, what sin could he have committed that would cause God to punish him? And just as we learned from Pastor Don's sermon last week, stinky stuff happens. So discussing it with his friends did not help. Sitting quietly with his friends and having them pray did, but discussing it didn't help. So clearly he needed to talk it out with God himself. He said, I desire to speak to the Almighty and argue my case with God. So in my current valley, I do talk to God, but it is sporadic and it feels incredibly incomplete. But I also know that when I'm out of this valley, and I know I will be out of this valley in time, I will talk to God the way that I should. But right now, it can still be difficult, and I think that's okay. So ultimately, Job gets his conversation with God, and God reminds Job of his deity and authority, of his eternality, 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 and power over creation, of his wisdom and omnipresence, and of his understanding and supremacy. After Job was blessed by the reminder of God's character, he was further blessed as the Lord restored his fortunes and gave him twice as much as he had before. His brothers, sisters, and other friends gathered around Job to comfort him. They even gave Job money to help during his hard time. God restored Job's fortune with 14,000 sheep, 6,000 camels, 1,000 yoke of oxen, and 1,000 female donkeys. God restored Job's family with seven sons, three daughters, and four generations of grandchildren. And Job died an old man and full of his days. So what can we learn from Job's suffering? Well, suffering is a way for God to display his power and glory. In John 9, we see that suffering can mean that God is wonderfully at work in a person's life, producing something miraculous. John 9, 1-3 says, As Jesus was passing by, he saw a man blind from birth, and his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, It was not this man that sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. And we remember from last week, Pastor Don's sermon in Luke 13, 1 through 5, Jesus was asked by others, just as his disciples asked him here, if the suffering that they were witnessing was punishment for sinning. No. I have a beautiful clip from the television show The Chosen to show you. It's a perfect example of this. It's one of Rhiannon's favorite moments in the show, possibly her absolute favorite Jesus has just told the disciples that he is sending them out, two by two, to perform miracles. But in the show, little James has a disability. He has a severe limp. And he has questions.
2: Master. Little James. May I have a moment? Of course. I have. Um... Forgive me. I'm uh, not always confident to speak. Slow to speak. It's a very good quality. <laughs> <clears throat> Wanted to ask you a question. Please. So you are sending us out with the ability to heal the sick and lame. Yes, that. That is what you said? Yes. So you're telling me that I have the ability to heal? (laughs) Forgive me. I just find that difficult to imagine with my condition, which you haven't healed. Do you want to be healed? Yes. Uh, Of course, if if that's possible. I think you've seen enough to know it's possible. Why haven't you? Because I trust you. What? Little James. Precious little James. I need you to listen to me very carefully. Because what I'm going to say defines your whole life to this point, and will define the rest of your life. Do you understand? In the Father's will, I could heal you right now, and you'd have a good story to tell, yes? Yes. That you do miracles. That's a good story. But there are already dozens who can tell that story. And there will be hundreds more, even thousands. But think of the story that you have, especially in this journey to come, if I don't heal you. To know how to proclaim that you still praise God in spite of this. To know how to focus on all that matters, so much more than the body. To show people that you can be patient with your suffering here on earth because you know you'll spend eternity with no suffering. Not everyone can understand that. How many people do you think the Father and I trust this with?
1: Hmm?
2: Not many. But the others. There's so much more. So much more, what?
0: I don't know. Stronger? Better at this?
2: James, I love you, but I don't want to hear that ever again. I know how easy it is to say the Song of David
0: that I fearfully and wonderfully made, but it doesn't make this any easier. And in this group,
2: it doesn't make me feel like any less of a burden. A burden. First of all, it is far easier to deal with your slow walking than it is to deal with Simon's temper. Trust me. Are you fast? Do you look impressive when you walk? Maybe not. But these are things the father doesn't care about. You are going to do more for me than most people ever dream. So many people need healing in order to believe in me. Or they need healing because their hearts are so sick. That doesn't apply to you. And many are healed or not healed because the Father in heaven has a plan for them which may be a mystery. And we remember what Job said. The Lord gives, and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the The Lord. Lord. When you pass from this earth, and you meet your Father in heaven, where Isaiah promises you will leap like a deer, your reward will be great. so hold on a little longer and when you discover yourself finding true strength because of your weakness and when you do great things in my name in spite of this the impact will last for generations do you understand? Yes. A man like you, healing others. (laughs) Oh, what a sight. I can't wait to hear your stories when you return. Shalom, my son. Shalom. And James.
1: Happens with YouTube, oops, sorry. But you might see why Rhiannon likes this clip. And she has told me that she feels that God has allowed her to have gastroparesis because he knows her faith is strong enough. As a mother and a Christian, there are no words. So we learn that from Job that one, suffering is a way for God to display his power and glory. And two, suffering will result in us seeing God's love. God was not Job's enemy. He had a purpose and a plan. Job simply didn't know it yet. God doesn't cause suffering, but he will use it for his good. And just as I said, you'd hear this again, and you heard it last week with Pastor Don. Romans 8, 28. And we know all... In all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. And Romans 5, 3-5 says, Not only so, but we glory in our sufferings, because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character, and character hope. So we've covered suffering, and I've explained to you how I struggle greatly when my loved ones are suffering, and how I rely on others to lift us up in prayer. But what does the Bible say about leaning on other believers? James 5.16 says, Therefore confess your sins to each other and pray for each other, so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. In chapter 5, James is asking other believers to count all struggles as joy. His intent was not for Christians to pretend to be happy, but simply to realize that God could bring good out of every situation. Romans 8.28, and we know that In all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who've been called according to his purpose. God gives beauty for ashes, and I believe that. I say it a lot. James then closes out this letter by encouraging believers to demonstrate their faith in God by praying in response to every circumstance. Are you in trouble? James says you should pray. Are you cheerful? Sing songs of praise, he says. Are you sick or spiritually weak? Yes, I am right now. Involve the community by asking the elders to pray for you, anointing you with oil, and the Lord will raise you up. Your sins will be forgiven. James makes it clear that the community of Christians should take responsibility for each other. Prayer is powerful and effective. God hears and responds. I still believe prayer works, even in my suffering. So when I struggle, I ask my fellow believers to pray for me because I'm spiritually weak in that moment. There's a misconception that only certain people are called or gifted to be intercessory prayer warriors. There are people in our churches and lives who seem to have a special intimate connection with God. They are relentless when it comes to praying for others. The truth is we are all called to pray for others. In Ezekiel 22:30, God is searching for those who would stand in the gap to intercede for others. Just like Pastor Don's sermon last week we're to be like the worker who interceded and said he would work on the fig tree so that it may bear fruit next year. God is inviting all Christians to serve through intercessory prayer. Praying for others is not a choice. It is our privilege. Whether we believe it or not, we are all equipped to be prayer warriors on behalf of others. We are heirs with Christ. We are adopted sons and daughters and therefore possess the same power and access to God that our Savior enjoys. We can whisper, we could cry out, and we can offer a request to our Heavenly Father and He hears us. Sharing in the inheritance of Jesus, we are called high priests with a direct connection to God and an opportunity to offer up prayers on behalf of family, friends, neighbors, government officials, and our nation. The words do not have to be perfect, only spoken through love and trust in a God who hears and answers. There are eight amazing things that will happen when we pray for others. When we pray, we participate in God's work. There are many people in our lives who need prayer, and at times their needs are clear, other times We may not know what to pray. Either way, when we pray for others, we join God in his work in their lives. Being obedient in prayer for others clears the way for God's work and will to be done. Two, praying for others emulates Jesus. As Pastor Don said last week, that is the goal as followers of Jesus, for us to be more like Christ. In the book of Luke, we find Jesus praying often. He goes to his Father in prayer as his ministry begins. Jesus prays during temptation, and he prayed for strength and relief as he neared the cross. He withdrew from people to pray, and he prayed early in the day. He also taught us how to pray. As we can see in Scripture, Jesus prayed about everything, bringing petitions of prayer on behalf of others. We imitate our Savior. Three, when we pray for others, we share in their burdens. We find ourselves not focusing entirely on ourselves, and in turn, it shows care and concern for others. Philippians 2, 3-4 says, Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. When I was in the hospital years ago, when I first had uh, my first blood clot, I prayed a lot for other people, and it filled me with a peace that did not make sense. When my loved ones are safe, and it is only me who is suffering, I find prayer much easier especially when I'm praying for others. Four, by praying for others, we join the ministry of reconciliation. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 5 that God made our relationship with himself through Christ and then gives us the ministry of reconciliation. Our first tool is prayer. Praying for others puts us in the middle of God's work to bring everyone to himself. By praying for others, we are ministers in the work of salvation, opening the gospel to those in our prayers. God wants everyone to be saved, and we are invited to be part of the work. 2 Timothy 2, 3-4 says, This is good and pleases God our Savior, who wants all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. Five, when we pray for others, we learn to trust God. We remind ourselves of our own need for gratitude for the things we have, especially as we ask God to intervene and help those facing various life struggles. When we offer intercessory prayers, pleading with God on behalf of loved ones and friends, we trust his ability to answer, and he does. When we pray for others, God will answer. Matthew 7, 7 says, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. Six, when we pray for others, we are also changed. We live out the biblical command to love others when we pray for them. Pastor Oswald Chambers wrote, Prayer is not a matter of changing things externally, but one of working miracles in a person's inner nature. While we pray for others, we plead with God to intercede in their lives, perhaps to bring healing or strength in difficult times. But we are also opening our hearts for change. When we pray for others, we connect to the one who has the power to transform the hearts of others and bring change to their circumstances. At the same time, it amends our hearts. Seven, Praying for others honors and glorifies God. John 14, 13 says, And whatever you ask in my name that I will do, the Father may be glorified in the Son. And eight, God answers when we pray for others. We learn to recognize the power of prayer not only in our own lives but also in the lives of others. As Christians, our prayers do not bounce off the ceiling or dissipate like fog. God hears when we pray for others, and he answers The answer may not come quickly, nor the reply be what we expected. Or, because God is so gracious, we may receive more than we asked. Either way, God answers our prayers when we pray for others. Our prayers are powerful, and our loving God wants us to know, through his answer to our plea, that he has the power and authority to answer whatever we ask. 1 John 5.14 says, This is the confidence we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. Ephesians 6:18 says, "And pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests." With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for the Lord's people. Not just a few are called to pray for others; we are all called to pray unceasingly for all of God's people. As the 20th century author and pastor Ian e. Bounds said about prayer, "Prayer should not be regarded as a duty which must be performed, but rather as a privilege." to be enjoyed, a rare delight that is always revealing some new beauty. In Pastor John's sermon last week, he told us that God wants us to be like the vineyard worker who shows love, care, and support to those who may be struggling. He closed last week reminding us that we are here to help and support one another. And I want to be very clear when I tell you that you always help and support me when I ask you to pray. I absolutely feel the love from this congregation when I am in need. Ocoee Oaks is truly an amazing and loving church. Thank you.